All of us want to be the best version of ourselves, but often things get in the way. We can get in our own way. Knowing what our best looks like is one of the biggest struggles of being the best of you. So the last few months, uh, we have been walking through the book of James, and we have been looking at this question, how to become the best of you? How do you become the person that God has created you to be, that God has called you to be? And we started this back in January, because in January, uh, many of you probably you know, came up with words for the year, you came up with goals and resolutions, um, and, and I'm not going to sh- have a show of hands, because we don't want to feel guilty and bad, but most of you have probably given up on those. Um, most of us as Americans, we have all kinds of great intentions when it comes to our years, um, but we, we lack a lot of tenacity in finishing. Um, but we have been walking through this and just asking, how do we become who God wants us to be? And it's not about goals, it's not about resolutions, it's not about um, you know, how much weight you can lose in one year, how much debt you can pay off in one year, but it's about making sure that we don't miss the best that God has for us. And so we've looked at different things, we've looked at you know, how do we handle just hardships in life? How do we handle difficulties in life? We've looked at how to make decisions and how that goes into and factors into who we become. But today we're gonna look at something that I know you're, so, you're gonna be so excited about when I tell you what we're gonna look at. Because you drove to church today and you were thinking on the way here, you were like, you know what? Man, I really hope Josh is gonna talk about money. Like I really hope, like you woke up today and you thought, man, God, the thing I need to hear about when I go to church today is I need to hear about money. Now, here's the thing when it comes to money. The reality is, is that money is actually a pretty big part of our lives. It actually goes a long way to determining if you become the best of you, if you become all that God wants you to be, or money can keep you from becoming all that God wants you to be. It can actually hinder you. And money, is a topic that we really don't like to talk about, but all of us really struggle with and have questions about it. But but before we get into it, I want you to think back to the family you grew up in. I want you to think back to how your parents handled money and talked about money. The family that you grew up in, did, did you spend a lot of time talking about money? Did your parents fight about money? There's probably arguments in your house growing up about money, about making ends meet. Did anybody ever teach you about generosity or teach you about investing or saving? See, most of us, whether we realize it or not, the family we grew up in, the way our parents talked about money, the way our parents treated money, goes a long way to determining how you treat money. And you know this because this happens in every area of your life. Most of us view work, most of us view politics through the lens of the family we grew up in. And the same thing is true when it comes to money and stuff. Whether we realize it or not, the way your family handled money growing up is often the way you handled money. Now, some of us, depending on the family we grew up in, maybe you look back at your parents and think, I don't wanna end up broke and bankrupt like my parents did, so I went the other direction. And sometimes our families are a lesson in how to not handle money. And so we go the other way. But where we're going today, and I don't want you to miss this, is that giving and generosity, when we come to church and hear about giving and generosity or money, we think it's just about money, but it's actually not. See, giving and generosity isn't about money, it is about a battle for your passion, it's a battle for your heart, and it is a deep, deep battle for your deepest affections, desires, and dreams. 
Because here's what I know is true about you. You and I, in our culture, know that for our deepest desires and dreams, we need some things in our bank account. You have some dreams, I have some dreams. You probably have a dream kitchen you'd love to build. You have a dream vacation you'd love to go on. You probably have a dream gift that you'd love to give to somebody. If you're a student, you probably have a dream of a new car. Adults, you probably do as well. Maybe you have a dream of getting a new gadget. And money is connected to that. And money, as we see throughout scripture, as we're gonna see today, money actually has a very deep connection to our spiritual condition. It's deeply connected to it. The way that we view money, the way that we handle money, the way that we think about debt, the way that we think about generosity has a very strong connection to our spiritual condition. And so today, here's the thing about James 5. Throughout the book of James, James is, for many followers of Jesus, one of their favorite books of the Bible because it's incredibly encouraging. There's so many incredible sayings in the book of James that we walk out and we're like, oh man, like that's exactly, it hits me where I am, you know. But James 5, these first six verses in scripture are what are known as a warning passage. So if you walk out of here today and think, man, like I don't feel great. Like I don't feel like overly encouraged. That's okay. I want you to tell you that that's okay. Because sometimes when we read the Bible, sometimes we'll read it and we'll feel encouraged. We'll feel just like, oh man, that's exactly what I needed. It picked me up. Sometimes the Bible and the verses in it are a two by four. Because sometimes we need the word from the Lord that is encouraging and peaceful and pushes us through. And sometimes you need a two by four to the side of the head. And this is one of those passages. And all week I thought, man, I want to soften this. Like I want us to feel good because I like my goal. Like I really like, I want you to leave encouraged and I hope you do today, (laughs) but I also don't want to lessen and, and soften. Like James has some really harsh words for those of us who are rich. Now here's what you're going to think immediately. Well, man, that's great, Josh. Like I don't have to listen like, cause I'm not rich. Like I know people who are richer than I am. And so like, this is for them. But the reality is that sitting here today in our country, in our world, you are rich. You have more than almost everybody else on planet earth. And that comes with some responsibility that comes with, and as we're going to see, that comes with challenges that those who are not rich in our world don't have. There are challenges that come with money. There's great things that come from money. And one of the things I'm gonna point out again and again today, the Bible is not against money. The Bible's not actually against riches. The Bible's just really clear that says, it's actually harder if you have more. It's actually harder. And so James says this, this is the beginning of this warning passage. And so I'm just telling you ahead of time, it's gonna be a little bit of a warning today. James says in verse, verse one of chapter five, he says, come now you rich people, weep and wail over the miseries that are coming to you. Weep and wail over the miseries that are coming to you. Because money brings a lot of great things, but it also brings misery. And you know this is true. I mean, here's just a few things about, about the stress related to money. 65% of Americans say that money is a significant source of stress. 
if you poll millennials and Gen Z, so you get to young adults, college age, and even as you get down into teenagers, that number goes up to 82% of young adults say money is a significant source of stress. So we know this, money brings all kinds of stress. 80% of couples who get divorced indicate that financial issues played a significant role in the ending of their marriage. If you're married, you have probably had a fight about money this week. You probably had an argument about it. All of us have laid in bed recently wondering and stressing about money probably. And stressing about making ends meet, making it to the end of the month, paying this bill that we, that's more than we expected it to be. See, money and stuff is a big part of our life. And it leads to a lot of stress. It leads to a lot of great things. It leads to a lot of great things. But James says it leads to misery. And we need to acknowledge what money does. We need to acknowledge what stuff does in our life, that it leads to great things, but also to misery. And what we have to do, and we're not very good at this because we don't like to talk about money. Money is super private, so we don't wanna have any conversation. Some of you this week, you're gonna find something else to do instead of going to your community groups so that you don't have to talk about money. So like, don't be that person. Like I've already outed you at church, okay? So now you have to go. But like, we don't wanna talk about money. But the thing is, is we have to acknowledge. What James wants us to do is he wants us to acknowledge what money does. We have to acknowledge the power that money has. And we don't wanna do that. We just want tips on, on how to retire. We want tips on how to make sure, you know, like Dave Ramsey says, like, live now like no one, so you can live later like no one. Like, we, like that's what we want. But James says, no, we, you need to understand how powerful it is. You need to understand how powerful it is and how money and stuff can grip our heart without realizing it. But James is doing something else because he wants us to see the connection to eternity. When he says, weep and wail over the miseries that are coming to you, he is connecting to when Jesus stood in Jerusalem in Luke 13 and talked about the judgment and talked about heaven and hell and uses some of the same words when Jesus says that, that hell is this place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so James is saying money is not just about an exchange. It's not just transactional. It's not about just getting your dreams and what you hope to have happen, but it is connected to eternity. It is connected to how you spend eternity. It is connected to how you experience the power and the grace of God. And this is why Jesus said in Matthew 6, he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That wherever your treasure is, your heart is there. And your treasure is not just your finances. Your treasure is not just your bank account. Your treasure is also your time, how you spend your time, who you spend your time with. Your treasure is what you think about. What, what spends so much time just taking up space in your head, what you fantasize and daydream about, that vacation that you're thinking about, that new car, the new set of tires that you're thinking about, right? The backyard, like that perfect backyard where you don't have to go and talk to your neighbors at all, like you can just hibernate in your backyard, like that garden. Like we, we think of all kinds of things and money is the gateway to get there. And Jesus says, that's, that's where your heart's at. And we will come to church and go, no, no, but, but my heart, Jesus, my heart is with you, but like, but if like you could get me to get that, my heart would really be with you. And Jesus says, I already know that your heart's over there. And James just wants us to say, okay, where actually is my heart? Where is my heart? 
So here's kind of a, a gut check question if you're a follower of Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus, this question isn't for you. But it, so you can just watch everyone else squirm, okay? So if you are a follower of Jesus, here's kind of a gut check question for you. Do you view money the same way as your neighbor who doesn't follow Jesus? Do you think about stuff? Do you think about debt, investments, savings? Do you think about it and stress about it the exact same way that your neighbor, your coworker, who doesn't follow Jesus? If you do, James wants us to step back and say, is that what God wants for us? Am I looking at it correctly? See, James, throughout his book, like we've talked about numerous times, it's, it's the self-evaluation that he wants us to have. Do we look at money this, the way that we should? And so what James says is that there's three ways that money actually keeps us from becoming the best of you. Three really simple things. And some of them, like all of us do at least one of these. Okay, this is what it says in verse two. Your wealth has rotted and your clothes are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have stored up treasure in the last days. So James is gonna give us three things that, that, the, that, that the rich do that keep them from experiencing all that God has from. And the first one is hoarding. Now, the moment we hear the word hoarding, we, we immediately think of that TV show, Hoarders. Okay? Now, some of us know and are related to people who are hoarders. And so some of us right now are going, man, that's not me because I don't have like a bazillion things in my house. Like I don't have that. But let me ask you this. Do you have, do you have a box of cables <laughs> that you're just holding on to just because maybe, just maybe, you never know, you might need. Let me step on a little bit, let me go a little bit more. How many screwdrivers and drills do you have? How many like pots and pans and, see the thing is, it's like, we have a closet full, we have cupboards full of stuff that we might need Maybe in the event of the apocalypse, if the aliens come, but we're just going to have it. And so James wants us to say, okay, like how much stuff do you have that's just like rotting? That's just there. Now, again, it's not wrong to have stuff, but here's what, here's what happens. When we have this stuff, here's what we feel. Because if we, if we came to your house and took that box of cables, you would, like, you would feel so stressed out and so insecure. Like some of you right now are thinking, man, I hope no one comes and gets my box of cables. Like, because in James is saying, but like, look at the security that you have from that. Look at how good you feel because you have that. Now again, that's not wrong. But the thing is, is that what does it reveal about where we place our hope? Like I remember years ago, talking to a, one of the guys at our church in Tucson, and he had massive amounts of credit card debt, went through FPU, did everything, like got out of credit card debt, like paid his house off, did the whole thing, okay? I mean, he was like the poster child for like what could happen. And then he came to me, we were sitting there one day having coffee, and he said, Josh, he said, here's the thing, he said, 
I've totally changed how I handled money. And he said, and now I have way more money in my savings that I've ever had before. But he said, Josh, the thing is I've realized is I have all of that money because I'm afraid if it rains, God's not gonna show up with an umbrella. Now, we would look at him and be like, he, he did everything that you're supposed to do. But then he had to deal with what was in his heart. And his heart was, I'm doing all of these things just in case God doesn't keep his promise. And some of us, and it's not just stuff that we hoard. We hoard relationships. We hoard power. We hoard finances. We hoard all kinds of stuff. Information. We hoard all kinds of things. Why? To feel safe. And so James is just wanting us to say, do you hoard anything to feel safe and secure? Is anything that you have, does that keep you from having to fully trust in God? And the answer for some of us is no. Like for some of us, we hold lots of things loosely. You can't get rid of stuff fast enough. I mean, you are all about the minimalist life. You've watched the documentary. You've listened to the podcast. You know, you have done the joy with whatever her name is and how much can I get rid of? I mean, you're all about that. So some of us are like, no, I can't get rid of stuff fast enough. But others of us, we have to stop and say, am, am I keeping this stuff to feel safe, to feel secure? Am I holding on to, to a season of life that I need to let go of? Some of us are holding on to some things that we need to let go of. Some of us have things that we just need to say, you know what, I'm, I'm gonna let go of this. So that's what hoarding does. And James says, do you have stuff that's just corroding, just rotting, eaten by moths? Do you need all that you have? It's not bad to have what you have. But James wants us to ask, does it reveal anything in my heart that I have to deal with? And if it does, then that keeps me from experiencing all that God has for me. See, Pastor Tim Keller, I love how he says this about money. He says, lovers of money, maybe you can see this in yourself, lovers of money are those who find themselves daydreaming and fantasizing about new ways to make money, new possessions to buy, and looking jealously on those who have more than they do. Trusters of money feel they have control of their lives and are safe and secure because of their wealth. Idolatry also makes us servants of money. Just as we serve earthly kings and leaders, so we sell our souls to our idols because we look to them for our significance and security that we have to them. And therefore, we're driven to serve and essentially obey them. See, I wanna be really clear. Scripture is very clear that we are to provide, we are to save, we are to take care of our families, we are to be prepared for tomorrow. Scripture's really clear about all of that, but it's also really clear that we can go overboard on that. That we can go way past what God calls us to. And so the first thing is hoarding, the second thing is how we get our money and stuff. James says in verse four, look, the pay that you withheld from the workers who mowed your fields cried out, and the outcry of the harvesters has reached the ears of the Lord of armies. And so the second characteristic is how we make money. So the first is hoarding and keeping stuff, having that box that we just may use one day, we just never know. But the second way is how we get our money. And if we get it honestly, justly, or if we get it dishonestly. And this gets into just our work ethic. This gets into, do you show up at work? Like, look, here we go, okay? 
So this past Thursday and Friday, how much March Madness did you watch on the company dollar? Like these are the two days that like American businesses lose more money than like any other days of the year. Now I'm not trying to down and I'm not trying to be like not fun, but it's easy to do. It's easy to cut corners. It's easy to like do 15 minutes of like real actual work in a week. It's easy to do. I remember talking to a, a guy when, so when we moved to Tucson in 2008 to plant our church, that was when the housing market just totally bottomed out. I was talking to a guy on our team and he, and he was struggling what to do with his house. And he said, Josh, he's like, my, my house is worth like 40% of what I paid for it. He's like, so I'm just gonna walk away from it. And he looked at me and he goes, do you think that's okay? And as we talked about it, he said, well, you know, it just makes, it just makes financial sense. It made absolute financial sense. I told him, I said, it makes absolute financial sense. I said, but let me ask you this. I, I said, in walking away, do you feel like you're keeping your integrity? Because here's the thing that we have to ask as followers of Jesus, and it's a question that we don't wanna ask. We want to ask, does it make financial sense? Does it help me get to my financial goals? But Jesus wants us to say, does it also line up with the kingdom? Does it also keep your integrity and honesty? Yeah, but, it's, it, makes, but it's, it makes financial sense. Just because something makes financial sense does not mean it's the way of Jesus. See, and again, this is why, this is the gut check question. Like, do I view money stuff, investments, and debt like everybody else, or do I view it differently? And so James wants us to ask, okay, do I take shortcuts? Yeah, but those shortcuts are totally legal, Josh. Like, it's totally fine. But James wants us to say, is that right? Is that right? Now, James doesn't come out and say, all those things are wrong. But he does want us to ask. He wants us to ask one more question than our neighbor and coworker who doesn't follow Jesus. So your neighbor and coworker who doesn't follow Jesus says, hey, does this help me get ahead? Does this make me more money? Does this get me to where I need to be? All fine questions. But James wants us to go one step further. Does this represent Jesus well? Does it help me to keep my word? If I signed a document? Yeah, but, they, but like, like they're not gonna keep it. Like, you know, they're gonna go after financial sense. The bank is gonna go after. James goes, that's not the question. See, this is why it's really hard. This is why I told you. Like, I really wanted to like soften this passage for us. But James is also really clear that we're gonna miss what God has for us. We're gonna miss what God has for us. This is one of those, I, I'm gonna read this quote and, and you're gonna hate it as much as I do. So I'm just gonna tell you this ahead of time, okay? So this is like a super uncomfortable quote, but this is from David Platt, who's a pastor in DC. He says this, he says, what we want is a nice middle-class American Jesus a Jesus who doesn't mind materialism and who, and who would never call us to give away everything we have. We want a Jesus who would not expect us to forsake our closest relationships so that he receives all our affection. We want a Jesus who is fine with nominal devotion that does not infringe on our comforts because after all, 
He loves us just as we are. A Jesus who wants us to be balanced, who wants us to avoid dangerous extremes, and who, for that matter, wants us to avoid danger altogether. We want a Jesus who brings comfort and prosperity as we live out our Christian spin on the American dream. I'll tell you, I'll, I'll make a confession, okay? That's exactly the Jesus that I want, okay? I want the Jesus who I can live out the American dream with just a little bit of Jesus sprinkled on top. Just like I said last week, I wanna live out the American dream and, and just have Jesus sign on the dotted line for me. What I don't want is I don't want Jesus to come to me and say, Josh, actually you're holding your stuff a little too tightly. I don't want the Holy Spirit to convict me and say, hey, you actually should give that away to somebody. You actually should go bless that family. I remember years ago, we first got married. We had two cars, so I was super excited about this. So I was like, oh, we're moving up the chain. I have, we have two cars now. This is great. You know, like this is what you're supposed to do. And um, Katie, her uh, brother, who was three years younger than her, totaled his car. He was in college, didn't have money to replace it then. And she said, hey, you know what? We don't need two cars. Why don't we just give him one of our cars? And I said, we actually do need two cars. There's like one day, a week, one day a month when we're gonna need two cars, okay? This is the box, okay? This is the box of cables. She goes, no, no, no I really think, like he, and I said, it's not my fault he had a car accident. <laughs> like this is literally the conversation we had. I said, this isn't my fault. So why do I have to solve it for him? She goes, well, we're gonna give him a car, okay? And so, so he flies out um, with one of Katie's other brothers to get the car. <laughs> I still remember what she said. She looked at me. She goes, hey, so when we, when we give him the keys, you're gonna give him the keys. <laughs> so the day comes, they were there for the weekend. I, I, hand, I hold out the keys. <laughs> And he, and he goes to grab him, and I, and I, like, I just held on to him. <laughs> and I looked at him, it's so bad I said this. This is like 17, 18 years ago, so I feel like I've been redeemed in a lot of ways. But so I looked at him and I was like, Dan, I love you. I was like, but we're giving you this car because your sister told me I had to. <laughs> and he goes, I know. <laughs> but it's this question of, do I hold my stuff? too tight? And sometimes we, we do, and, and we need to confess that. And this is what we're going to do in a minute when we take communion. I'm, so you can just start thinking about it a little bit, like what things you need to confess to God about your money and stuff. That's what, we're going to spend a minute just bringing stuff to God that we just need to say, hey, you know what? Like I, I actually kind of do find my security in my bank account. I actually do find my security in how much I have in investments. Now, again, planning for the future, saving, being a wise steward, those are all things we're supposed to do. But James wants us to say, how much security do you find in it? Do you find your security in Jesus or your stuff? He just wants us to ask. He just wants us to ask. Okay, so three things. James says hoarding, how we get our money, and the last one is how we spend it. He says in verse five, you have lived luxuriously on the earth and have indulged yourselves. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. So the third way that it keeps us from being the best of you, that money gets in the way, is how we use our money. Self-indulgent, luxurious, okay? Self-indulgence is this excessive 
unrestrained gratification of your own appetites, desires, and whims. There's no limit to what you spend. It doesn't matter who it hurts. It's about how high you can climb. It's about if you want it. And James says, you are fattening yourself up for the slaughter. I mean, I want you to picture this, okay? Like I grew up in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, where, you know, it's just surrounded by farms. And so I can just imagine just cows just to the horizon. And James says, you're just fattening yourself up. You're just a cow that's out in the pasture, just going about your business. You're not thinking, you're just eating, sleeping day after day, growing fat, fatter and fatter by the hour as you get closer and closer to the day of slaughter. The butcher is just getting closer to you. Like, that's the image that James has for us. And we have to ask, do I just spend all my stuff on me? When was the last time I gave something that I wanted to somebody who needed? When was the last time that I responded when the Holy Spirit said, hey, like, step in there. Be generous there. Give a kind word there. See, generosity is not just about money. It's about time. It's about kind words. It's about a smile. It's about a hug. Or do we think, you know what? Someone else will do that. Like, I I deserve this. Like, I've had to think through in my own life, too. Like, part part of, like, my self-indulgence over the years has just been eating. Like, oh, man, I totally, I, I deserve I deserve that extra. And James says, do you? You know, I had a really long day. Like, life feels out of control right now. James says, are you fattening yourself up for the slaughter? Like literally, Josh, are you fattening yourself up for the slaughter? James just wants us to ask. He just wants us to say, do you hoard? Or do you trust God? Do you keep anything for a rainy day just in case the rain comes and the winds howl and God does not show up with the umbrella? Do you hoard? Have you gotten your money unjustly? Do you take shortcuts? Like, how's your integrity when it comes to, to work and finances? Like, do you... If you're married, do you, do you have a secret bank account that your spouse doesn't know about? Do you spend it selfishly? Now notice, there's a difference between taking care of yourself, meeting needs, and selfish. Those are two different things. And James just wants to say, hey, how am I, how am I actually doing? And he ends in verse six. He says, you have condemned. You have murdered the righteous who does not resist you. See, James ends with where our hoarding of our money and stuff, getting rich unjustly, spending money self-indulgently and selfishly, where it gets us. And now this is where we don't often think about it. When James says, you have condemned, you have murdered the righteous, and he does not resist you, James is talking about the sacrifice that Jesus made in your place and mine. Now, when we 
Like in a couple weeks, we're gonna do the Stations of the Cross in here, and we're gonna write out sins that, that Jesus forgave us for, and we're gonna nail them on the cross. Most of us are not going to think about money, hoarding, and stuff. But James wants us to know that those sins, those broken places of our stories, those things that are in just those deep, dark places of our souls, those things, those sins about money and stuff place Jesus on the cross. Like the last time you were in like some accountability group or the last time someone says like, hey, like, you know, how are you doing? What can we pray for you about? You know, you, you probably talked about all the things we've talked about so far. I need to make wise decisions. I'm having a really hard time. Like I'm struggling with, you know, lust and, and porn and all these different addictions. I, how many of you have said to your community group, hey, I really need you to pray for me because I'm a hoarder and I have no integrity when it comes to money. James wants us to know that those sins place Jesus on the cross. Like that's how big of a deal they are to God. But not only did they place Jesus on the cross, but in the same way that your shame and your guilt for everything else that you carry has been set free and redeemed because of Jesus' death and resurrection, so the same thing is true when it comes to your money and stuff. See, James doesn't leave us there and say, man, you should feel really, really bad. He says, Jesus died to set you free. And when you come and confess, he does not resist you. Because he knows what you and I know is that our money and stuff is so deeply woven into our hearts. So deeply woven. And if you're taking notes, this is, I wanna bring this all together for us. When we loosen our grip on money and stuff, we can tighten our grip on what matters most. This is what Jesus was saying in Matthew 6. When we loosen our grip on money and stuff, we can tighten our grip on the things that matter most, on the kingdom of God, on the things that God has called us to, on the opportunity to be generous. So here's my, here's my challenge for you as we get ready to take communion. Some of us, as we prepare, are, we do need to spend some time saying, God, I, I'm keeping stuff that I don't need. This doesn't mean you go home and you just clean out your closet and throw everything away and go to Goodwill or something. That's not what this means. Some of you may do that. Like some of you may walk out of here and go, that's exactly what I need to do. And maybe you do need to do that. But James wants us to ask, does my heart when it comes to money and stuff reflect Jesus or does it reflect the American dream? With just a little bit of Jesus on top. Because it's easy to get confused about it. And for some of us, what this means is some of us need, do need to give some things away. There are some things that are, that are in our house. There are some, maybe there are some people that you need to apologize to because you took advantage of them financially. Maybe for you, maybe, the, maybe your next step today is that you're gonna start being more generous and start giving for the first time. That might be your next step because you're holding tightly. One of the things that Katie and I do, maybe for you, 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 you just say, man, you know, I, I give, I'm generous, I, I try to be generous, I try to meet needs. One of the things that Katie and I do each year is we just ask God, how can we take that next step to be a little bit more generous? What does it look like for us to loosen our grip a little bit more on this stuff? 
and ask for opportunities. Ask for opportunities. See, but again, giving's generosity is, is not about your bank account, but it's about what's in your heart, how much control you're trying to have, and how, comfort, how, much, how comfortable you feel with that control. So here's how I want us to close as we prepare for communion. Like I said, some of us need to say, God, I am a hoarder. Not like in the TV show hoarder. Maybe you are, and that's okay. Because what does James say at the end? God does not resist you. He already knows. He already knows. He already knows what's in your heart. You may have a meticulous house, and your heart is just one that's totally wrapped up in hoarding stuff. So what has your heart? So three things for us to confess today. And I'm just gonna give us a moment to do that. Hoarding things we're not trusting God. Making money unjustly, taking advantage. Spending selfishly and extravagantly and indulgently without restraint. So as we close, I just wanna take a moment. The band's gonna come up. I just wanna give you a moment, whatever, whatever the Holy Spirit's bringing to mind right now. And just say, God, this is, this, is what, this is what James 5 brought up for me. Just right where you are. Jesus, as we come to the table to remind ourselves of your life, death, and resurrection, that you took the penalty of our sin in our place. And we confess to you that, that those sins that placed you on the cross do involve our money, do involve how we spend it, how we think about it, the security that we find in it, how central that is to our heart desires, So we confess that we hold things tightly. We confess that it's easy to cut corners and it's easy to spend extravagantly and indulgently on ourselves. And Father, I thank you that you, in our confession, do not resist us, but you shower your extravagant grace upon us. For some of us, it's easy to hold money loosely. It's easy to be generous. We have generous spirits and personalities. But for many of us, this is the, this is the hard road of our faith. And so I pray that we, as we come to the table, 
that we would lay our confession down to you, that we would release that fear, that anxiety that we have about money, that we would trust you because we know that you keep your promises. We know that you promise to meet our needs. Not our wants, but our needs. And so help us to be people who view money and stuff differently. Help us to loosen our grip so that we can experience all that you have for us your name. Amen. Well, every week we take communion together, and communion is when we as followers of Jesus just remind ourselves that our sin placed Jesus on the cross, that he stepped into our place and paid the penalty for our sin. All of them, not just money, but definitely including how we handle money. Because of his death and his resurrection, we, we know that we can be set free that we can have new life. And so every week we come to the table and we remind ourselves that, that we're broken, that we're struggling, that we're doubting, that some of us are just holding it together. And we remind ourselves that we have been made new. And, and so we're gonna sing a song about surrender because really at the heart of all of this is we need to surrender our grip, our desire for control, our desire for comfort, we need to surrender that. And so as the band leads us through this song, when you're ready, you can come to the table, you can come down these aisles and, and get communion and take it back to your seats and, and take it on your own when you're ready. If you need a little bit more time just to, just to pray and just to process, please take that in your seats and then just come to the table when you're ready. And then when you get back to your seats, just stay standing as we as we just remind ourselves that we need to surrender, that God calls us to surrender.